the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. No book on earth is deeper and richer than the Bible. And few passages of scripture go deeper than the ninth chapter of the book of Romans. Welcome to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick, a ministry of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church in San Diego. You'll hear verse-by-verse preaching that will help you know and love Jesus in a personal and practical way. Open your Bibles with us to Romans chapter 9 and listen in to part one of this message as we learn together from the Bible. Romans chapter 9. Well, as we jump into our text, and our text will be found in verses 6 to verse number 13. Let me make some introductory remarks. The nation of Israel, in Genesis chapter 12, through their, if you will, they say their father or the patriarch or the one who started it, uh, that God used to start it, they were uniquely chosen by God to be a blessing to the entire world. Let me say that again. They were uniquely chosen by God to be a blessing to the entire world. Well, pastor, how would they be a blessing? Well, number one, they were the recipients and they were going to be the recipients of God's word through the preaching of the prophets, through the writing of the letters, through the Pentateuch and through the prophets and through the history books and the Psalms and the Proverbs and all of those, they were going to be the recipient of God's word. And God expected them and anticipated for them and blessed them to proclaim his word to the nations in the world. So so God blessed the nation of Israel by giving them his word with the expectation, the calling, the empowerment, all of those words would be included there, to be a blessing to the world. Let me say it like this for us, make a quick application. God never gives you his word to simply hold on to it. The word of God is to be received and given, received and given, received and given. If it's just continually received and never given, then that person becomes like the Dead Sea and they become very bloated and floatable. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that word is. Neither do I, but I'm going to Israel in January. And I just read this week that I have to take old clothes to float in the Dead Sea with because it has a lot of minerals, but it goes nowhere and nothing can live inside of it. And it's kind of like some Christians that I know. They know a lot about the Bible, but they never give it out. And it's never lived out in their practical day-to-day life. So God expected the nation of Israel to take the word that they had received and be a blessing to the nations that the nations would call on the name of the Lord, that the nations would be glad in the Lord. There's one side of the blessing. The other side of the blessing for the nation of Israel, it is that through the nation of Israel would be, big theological term, the messianic line or the people through whom the Messiah would be born, lived, and ultimately even die at the hands of them for the sin of mankind. That Jesus, we can say it this way simply, that Jesus would be born through the line of Abraham. And that was a tremendous blessing to them. 
You say, well, Pastor, where do you see it? Well, we talked a little bit about it. We talked a lot about it in the 8.30 service last week. Very little about it last week in the 10.30 service. But I want you to notice verse number four and five, where the Bible says, talking about the nation of Israel, who are Israelites? Asking a question, it's rhetorical. To whom pertaineth the adoption? Those to whom pertaineth the adoption. And the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promise. So who are Israelites? Well, they're these people who've been adopted into the family of God. They are these, they're this people who saw the Shekinah glory of God, the, the, the literal physical manifestation of God on this earth in the Holy of Holies, in, in the tabernacle, what, what is called Moses' tabernacle, Solomon's temple. They saw the Shekinah glory of God, where God literally manifested himself physically, if you will, where people could see it on this earth. He didn't leave heaven because he's omnipresent. He was there. It was awesome experience. It's something that only happened two times or, or, or just a few times. And covenants, the covenant of the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, um, the covenant of grace in the New Testament. We could, we could study more of those. We, we won't just for the sake of time. And the giving of the law. God considers the law. Let me just stop and say this. People say, well, the Old Testament's just full of rules. Well, number one, people are going to be judged by those. So you might want to know how you're going to be judged before you're judged by them. Very beneficial to know. And God considers the giving of the law a tremendous blessing. Now, we don't try to live by the law to prove our goodness, but understand, having the law is a good thing. Paul said, we've studied it earlier in, the, in our study of Romans, I had not known sin except the law said, thou shalt not covet. So knowing what the law says is a wonderful blessing because God, who is the righteous judge, will judge in accordance with the law, especially for people who reject Christ. If you will not accept Christ as your savior, you will be judged 100% by the law of God. That's what I tell you. If you choose to reject Christ, if you make that choice to reject Christ, do yourself a favor and live the most righteous life possible because it will make your eternal suffering less horrible. You're going to be judged by the law if you reject Christ. So the giving of the law was a blessing. Now, the whole point of the law was to prove that we're sinners. The whole point of the law was to prove you can't save yourself. But if you're going to reject Christ, live a righteous life in accordance with the law. And so Paul is saying, this is a blessing. And then he talks about the service of God or the worship of God was a blessing. And the promises of God was a blessing. Verse number five, whose are the fathers? And of whom concerning the flesh Christ came. So God blessed the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, which would represent the fathers. And Christ came through this line. Who is over all. Christ is over all. Christ is over the fathers. Now you have to remember that they, they lauded or they, they esteemed greatly, if you will, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Paul is saying here, Christ came and Christ is better than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God blessed forever. Amen. Well, over the years, the nation of Israel, like us, had known what they were supposed to do, but they had digressed from doing it. They, they, they knew what God wanted them to do, but they're like, yeah, we're going to do our own thing. And it had gotten to the point that by the time Paul writes this, the consensus, the theological consensus in Israel, and if we could use this term very broadly, Jewish people, 
was that if you're an Israelite and you lived according to the Israeli law and you are a good citizen, then your eternal soul or your salvation was secure because you kept the law and you were a good citizen. And so there was a total rejection of the faith. So they'd come to believe that eternal life was guaranteed to all law-abiding citizens. And, and their thought was, we are part of the most blessed nation in history. Therefore, anyone who is born in our nation will be saved. And no doubt God had blessed this nation. But their thought was, if you're born in our nation and you don't repudiate our nation or you don't reject our nation or its teaching, we'll be saved. Well, there was a problem with that. And it's found in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 9, where Paul says in verse number 2, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish myself accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Or I I, I would die and go to hell if it meant that Israel would be saved. Why? Because they weren't saved. But they thought that they were. Romans chapter 10, verse number one, look over there, just page over, turn real quick. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Why? Because they weren't saved. They had been blessed immensely, but they were not saved, but they thought they were. They're like, they're like people, if I can make an application this way, they're like people in the South in America. There's some folks from the South in the, in the 830 service and the guy came up, he goes, man, that, that was spot on. If you're from the South in America, you're born thinking that you're a Christian by and large. You know, well, I went to such and such church and, and, and brother Jimmy was the pastor and, 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 uh, my granddaddy helped build that church before. I've had people get offended at me because I simply asked them if they knew Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Well, of course, who doesn't know that? I was born in Alabama. I was born in Tennessee. I was born in Texas and I, I went to the first Baptist church. I went to the central Baptist church. I went to the Second Baptist Church. I went to the 37th Baptist Church for that matter. And some people went to all of them and they're like, of course I'm a Christian. This is where I'm from and this is what I've done. So, so it's not lost on us. The application is not lost on us. Now understand, I'm glad that you're from Alabama or Arkansas or Tennessee or New York for that matter. Well... No, I really am. I'm glad about that. And, and, and I love it. And, 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 and it really doesn't matter to me where you're from. The issue is, is not so much where you're from. The, the issue is where are you going? And you're not going to spend eternity in heaven because you're from Arkansas or Alabama or from Israel. And that's what Paul is trying to convey. Yes, we are a blessed nation in America. Yes, the Israelites were a blessed people. Yes, they had the oracles of God. Yes, especially certain parts of the country. No doubt about it. There's more preaching and more of a quote, unquote, Christian culture. No doubt about that. But that doesn't make you a believer. And so Paul is writing here, verse 2 and 3, there are people who are in opposition to the word of God. So the question is rhetorically being asked in verse number 6. Look at verse number 6. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. So here's the rhetorical question that Paul is answering as being guided or inspired by the spirit of God. And here's the question. Has the word of God failed? If the nation of Israel is blessed, 
which they are, verses 4 and 5. And there are people in the nation of Israel who reject Christ, which they do, verse 2 and 3. The question is then, verse number 6, is the word of God failed? Has it take to take none effect? You see it in verse number 6. Has it taken none effect? The word phrase taken none effect means to suffer defeat, failure, or ruin. Is the word of God ruined? Since the very people entrusting, entrusted with taking the word of God and communicating it and standing up for it, if they are actually in opposition to it, has the word of God failed? Does their opposition to the word make the word powerless? If you like what you've heard so far, check out CanyonRidgeRadio.com. You can see videos and listen to hundreds of Bible messages that will help you in your walk with the Lord. You can also send a message to me and Pastor Chadwick. Check us out at CanyonRidgeRadio.com. Now, back to the message in progress. I'm just going to stop and answer it this way. God's Word has not failed, despite how things may appear in our limited human perspective. Even though people who are entrusted with communicating the word of God and holding up the word of God and living the word of God, even though they're not doing what God has called them to do and not living in accordance with the call of God in their life, it it does not mean that the word of God has failed. There are times in our limited perspective with our lenses clouded by our humanity and the stain of sin that we can't perceive all that God is doing in our world, that we can't perceive all that God is doing around us, all that God is doing in our families. Does that make uh, us weak or bad? No, it really just makes us, declares who we are as human beings, and it gives us another opportunity to glorify God for who he is because his word will never fail. Fulfillment of God's word is promised to Abraham is not dependent on the faithfulness of the Israelites. It's not dependent on the faithfulness of the Israelites. Well, what do you mean, pastor? Show me. Okay, turn over to Romans 3 or look on the screen. I hope you have your Bible and you're turning there. I'd rather you use your Bible than the screen. But for those that didn't bring your Bible today, you can certainly use the screen. Romans chapter 3, verse number 1. What advantage then hath the Jew or what profit is there of the circumcision? Much every way chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? So there's a group of Jews that don't believe. Will their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Will it, will it make the faith of God pointless? Will it make the creator of the universe pointless? Because those people who were entrusted with belief and those people who were supposed to believe, they don't believe. Will that bring it, vo- make it void or, or render it null and void? And Paul says this, God forbid. Yea, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mayest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome without a judge. Here's what Paul is saying uh, very clearly, that God forbid, will their, their lack of faith make God or cause God to, to, to be powerless? God forbid. It's the strongest Greek phrase in the negative. We, we might say it, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. Their lack of faith doesn't make God's word powerless. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. 
2 Timothy 2.13, Paul is talking to Timothy. If you believe not, yet he abideth faithful. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. He can't deny himself. So just because some people don't believe doesn't mean that God is not at work. I've had some people in ministry. I'll be in ministry this November. Um, 29 years in full-time, well, not always paid, but but full-time ministry. And um, over that 29-year period, I've had more than a few people say to me, like, I have to, I have to keep doing this because if I don't do this, what will happen to the church? If, if I don't do this, uh, what will happen to the ministry? Can I tell you that God likes to use us, but God doesn't have to use us? And the Israelites were thinking like, man, God needs us. God has to use us. And, and, and Paul is trying to illustrate this point like, hey, God's going to be true and God's going to be right regardless of what you do or what I do. Now, let's serve the Lord together is the principle that he's going to share and convey in just a second. In just a second. But, but make no mistake, God is still going to move forward and his will is going to continue to be done regardless of what you or I might do. God's not dependent upon us. We are dependent upon him. So the descendants of Israel, still in verse number six, so the descendants of Israel who stand in opposition to the word of God, verse two and three, were were not, let me say it this way and hear everything that I'm saying. We're not chosen by God to carry out the word. Thus it cannot be concluded that the word of God has failed. You see in verse number six, for they are not Israel which are of Israel. So in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, Abram uh, had two sons. He really had eight sons. Six of them were born after the death of Sarah. But the two prominent sons that we read about in the scripture, we read almost nothing about the other ones in what, other than what they inherited when Abraham died. The two prominent sons are Ishmael and Isaac. And Ishmael, the son of Abraham, is the father of the Arabian-speaking people. And, and he is the one that, that Abram chose to, to commit fornication with his mom and have the son. And we'll talk about that in just a second. And then Isaac, his son, is the one that, that God would use to bring about the line. And then, and then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob's name, Jacob was the younger. His name would be changed to Israel. Esau was a son. He became the the father of an Edomite people, not the best of people in the land. I, I say that tongue in cheek. They weren't the best. Not everyone. Here's the principle that Paul is making here, that not every son of Abraham is of the blessed line. Not every son of Abraham was a prophet. Not every son of Abraham was in the messianic line. There were a lot of Israels. The vast majority of Israelites were born and they weren't part of that. They weren't all called to be prophets. They weren't all called to be priests. They weren't part of the Levites and they weren't part of of the messianic line. And so he's saying this, to people born in Abram's house, there were a whole lot of people that were not part of that line. So don't think that God's word has failed simply because things didn't turn out like we hoped that they had turned out. And so that's what he's saying in verse number six. God even at times used unfaithful prophets. Imagine if you came to church this morning and uh, we had a guest speaker, and he stands up here a little bit. Um, 
You know, you can tell when speakers are disinterested. He's, he doesn't care really, just kind of flippant. And then he gets up here to talk. I introduce him and he gets up here to talk and he's, he says something like this. I don't have time for you. And I don't want you to hear about the forgiveness of God. So, matter of fact, I kind of prefer you to even die and go to hell. I'm out. Chances are, we're going to get a few emails that week. Probably some folks are going to say some stuff. Pastor, did you know he was going to do that? Well, if you hear those words and they're shocking, like who would say that? That was the message of an unfaithful prophet that God used. That was the message of a man named Jonah. God called Jonah to leave Israel and to go to a place called Nineveh, modern-day Iraq, and to preach the message of forgiveness and to preach repentance and faith in the coming Christ. And Jonah said, I don't want to go to Nineveh because I know that you're a merciful God, and if they repent, you will hear them. And God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, I am not going to Nineveh. I'm getting as far away from Nineveh as I can. And so Jonah goes and he, he hires to a ship or it's an old term means he just, he secured a opportunity on a ship. He paid to ride in a ship all the way to the land of Tarshish, kind of as far away from Nineveh as he could get. And they're going through the Mediterranean Sea and a major storm comes up. And you know, I'll cut the long story short. And, and the storm is so bad. They start sacrificing to their gods and praying. And Jonah said, hey, your gods can't do anything. If you want this ship to make it, you got to throw me overboard. So they throw Jonah overboard. The seas immediately get calm. Jonah's in the water, but not for long because God has provided a giant fish to come or a whale to come. The Bible uses both terms to come and swallow Jonah. And the whale swallows Jonah. And Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. And the third night, Jonah has a measure of repentance and says, God, I'll go to Nineveh. So the, the whale spits Jonah up on the shore, not the shore of Nineveh. He spits him up on the shore. And then Jonah has to walk probably eight to 10 days into Nineveh to get there. And then Jonah gets to the city. It's a huge city for that day. And Jonah walks to the middle of the city and he was a reluctant prophet, even when he was obedient. And he preached a seven word message to the people of Nineveh. And here's the seven word message. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That was his whole message. Some of you are thinking like, I would like to go to Jonah's church. Seven word message. Pastor can't say hello in seven words. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. And yet God used this unfaithful prophet with a less than a thorough message to bring about national repentance by the Ninevites and a national revival that lasted for many decades. And Jonah was upset when God showed them repentance. You say, well, what's the point? The point is that even sometimes the people who were called to carry out the message of the gospel in the Old Testament weren't always ones to do it with a good attitude or a faithful spirit, and yet God still used them. But we have to remember that not every descendant of Israel was in the line and not every descendant of Israel was in the line of the Messiah or or to be an inspired messenger of God. So we see verse number seven, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So Abraham has these two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, two different mothers, and Paul uses an allegory 
to represent the two different covenants of law and faith. Galatians chapter four, verse number 21 to 25. Paul says, tell me ye that desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? Do you not understand the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, that means a, 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 a slave, Lack of a better, that's what the word means, a bondwoman. The other by a free woman or a woman who is not a slave. But he was a, he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. He was born because of the fleshly lustful appetites of Abram and Sarah and we assume Hagar. Why? Sarah wanted a son. God had promised her a son, but she wanted a son on her timetable. She wanted a child on her timetable. Abram wanted a son on his timetable. And they said, Sarah said, you take my, my slave girl, my bond woman, and you go have sex with her. And the, the, the child that will be produced will be my child. That was culturally accepted in that day. And Paul says, but, but the child that was born unto her, verse number 24, of these two covenants, the one from Mount uh, Sinai, which gendereth bondage, is Agar or Hagar, verse 25. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai and answereth to Jerusalem or is subservient to Jerusalem, which now is and is, the, and is in bondage with her children. Here's what Paul says. The covenant of works is represented by that lustful attitude and spirit that Abram had. And the covenant of grace is represented by the submissive spirit that Abram finds Finally turn to verse number seven, neither because they're the seed of Abraham or they are children. And so he's saying Ishmael is not part of that seed. You've been listening to Kenyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick. Tune in next week as Pastor Chadwick continues this powerful series of messages from Romans chapter nine. Speaking of, if you have any questions about what it means to be a Christian, the Bible, and how to go to heaven, we invite you to visit CanyonRidgeRadio.com for more information. We hope this episode of Canyon Ridge Radio has been an encouragement to you. Canyon Ridge Baptist Church is a growing church located in beautiful San Diego, California. If you're in the San Diego area, make plans to visit us this Sunday at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 5 o'clock p.m at 6866 Linda Vista Road. For more information about our church, pastor, or how to know Jesus as your Savior, visit our website at canyonridgeradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.